Tonight is the third and final lesson of our relationship with the Ten Commandments. I'm, I'm just reading a little bit of the verse in the heading, Exodus 24 and 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me into the mountain, be there. I will give thee tables of stone, the law, commandments, which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Just as a point for us as we kind of walk through this, um, the Ten Commandments, this law that God gave Moses was not something that he uh, was given for his own pleasure or self-reflection, but it was meant to be passed down, and indeed it has been. Now, I'm going to look at the chapter wherein the Ten Commandments are found, and I'm actually going to just go to the verse right after the last of the declaration. So uh, I don't think we're even prepared for this, but this is Exodus chapter 20, and I want to read in verse 18. The Lord has just concluded um, giving the Ten Commandments, and now he's going to uh, show himself. Are you ready? Here, here is Exodus 20, verse 18. He's done giving the commandments, and then all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings, and the noise of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they removed, or they were afraid. They stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, we will hear you. We don't want to speak with God because we might die. Of course, you know, this is a natural reaction. If the mountain's on fire and there's lightnings and you hear the noise of a trumpet, um, and the mountain is smoking. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. This is a critical thing. So God is going to seal something because it's so dramatic, verse 21, the people, they kind of stood back. Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. So now we're getting the image. This mountain's on fire. There's a thick darkness. There's thunder and lightning and the sounds of trumpets. Although there's no indication that anyone was blowing a trumpet. These were the sounds and, and reverberations of the mountain. And... The Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth, this is a critical thing, you shall make unto me, make an altar, burn a sacrifice, put peace offerings there, sacrifice the sheep, your ox, in all places where... Where I record my name. I'll come to you. I'll bless you. Watch this. And if thou wilt make an altar of stone. Go ahead and make the altar of stone. Thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. However. Don't pollute it. Don't, don't make it so that it's your design. Don't, don't make it so that you, you have crafted it yourself. Hewn stone. Cut stone. Because some things need to be reserved for the Lord. He, he was not um, encouraging them to make something that they would glorify. Because he is a jealous God and he wants the glory for himself. Now, part of that also is because he knows that if, that if we retain anything, it'll destroy us. So it's better for the Lord to get the glory. Because not only does he deserve it, but it saves us in the meantime. You make something and you use it in a spiritual way. But if you don't realize that it was for the Lord, then it'll become an idol to you. We'll call it Nehushtan. <laughs> yes, there's a good word for you. Nehushtan. That's not a family name. I don't know, it might come up sometime during dedication. I have no idea. 
these babies being dedicated, I have no idea where the names come from. Moses lifted up a rod in the wilderness. People looked on it. They were healed because they were dying. It was a brazen serpent wrapped around a pole. He walked around the congregation, lifted it up. And when they looked at it, it was a type, capital T, type and shadow of Jesus Christ. In fact, even the New Testament, just as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. This was a type and shadow. But 700 years later, they still had that brazen serpent and they glorified it like a god until the prophet came along and smashed it. They called that thing Nehushtan. It's in your Bible. You don't have to Google me right now, but you can if you select. And so you make a beautiful altar and then all of a sudden you glorify the altar. And God added something in here because he wanted to make sure silver and gold and, and the glorification of our design can detract from him. And now on the precipice of, 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 of giving the law, um, God is going to interact with Moses in very unique ways. So now we're going to kind of look at the last portion of the commandments. And we're looking at the last six commandments. Out of the ten, Brother McLeod spoke of the first four last week, and I'm covering the last six. Not because we're, we're, we, we had not enough time last week to cover five, but because the first four deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with um, our relationship with each other. And it's pivotal for us to know this. Now, I'll call this, uh, maybe even if you're writing, borders, boundaries, and walls. It's not on your handout, but of course, I always add things to whatever you have in your hand. When you don't have a border or a boundary, then you don't have freedom. Freedom comes from prescribed borders and boundaries. (laughs) If you don't have a border or a wall or a boundary, it won't be long that you won't have pure worship. The temple was built and everyone rejoiced over the temple and they were thankful for it. The temple was destroyed. The second temple was built and Half of them rejoiced and half of them cried when they saw the foundation. Some of them were reminiscing about the good old days and others were rejoicing because they finally had a temple. But when the second temple was built, it didn't take long until all of a sudden there was gods brought into the temple. There were false things. There were false prophets brought there. Why? Because Jerusalem had no walls. And until Nehemiah came with his group of men to build the walls, the temple was fine, but it was corrupted. Because a temple without walls is subject to corruption. This temple is going to do fine for a moment. But the moment won't last very long if there are no walls. So all of a sudden, I've repented of my sins. As the Bible says, I'm baptized in water. According to the scripture, the Bible talks about that. I've received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I, there's evidence of that. Um, I'm speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. Isaiah 28. With staring your lips in another tongue, will he speak to this people? I have all. Now something's happening. But if I don't build the wall, the temple will soon become corrupted. So you can have revelation, but revelation without a boundary. Where's another boundary? Spiritual authority is a boundary for you. We don't always want spiritual authority because we like our subjective idea. But God has instituted because the Bible says, and he gave, he, God, gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. God gave that. The fivefold ministry was given by God. And those Offices 
which are designated offices, also constitute a constraint among the people. <laughs> Amen. Now, where did all that come from? Well, because God had instituted a border and a boundary long before Moses journeyed up Mount Sinai. He did it at the inception of mankind. And he said, listen, Adam and Eve, you can eat anything you want in this garden, just anything you want. I'm just going to put one tree. Who knows there could have been a million fruit-bearing trees in the garden. I don't know. Vineyards and trees and everything you can ever eat, but just put one tree. Now, we always had that tree right in the middle. What if it was over in a corner somewhere? No one, there's no Bible that says it was right in the middle. It could have been cloaked behind a whole bunch of other stuff right over the corner. Whatever it was, it didn't matter where it was. God said, you can have all this, but you can't have that. And what did they go do? They got that. Because we're never satisfied with everything. We want the one thing we can't have. And it's constraint. And they're inside of, the, of, the, of a beautiful garden. And inside the beautiful garden, there's really kind of this intangible border boundary. It's a law without description of law. And there's judgment if you violate it. Oh, no. I'm already digging and I can feel it. You may not know yet. Here's the commandments. If, you're, if you have the book, you're on page 54. Commandment number five. And in, uh, in your reading, it's, it's verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth, earth or the land which the Lord God giveth thee. There are subsequent scriptures. Um, in the Old Testament... Um, they took the honoring of mother and father very seriously. And in other cultures around the world, this remained true for a long period of time. Now, um, there are still some cultures that are, that are very much involved in family and oriented honoring of family. Um, probably in the last couple of decades, it has... It has waned. It's not been very good. But there were very few uh, convalescent centers in Japan because the Japanese, for multiple reasons, it was also uh, financial reasons, and it was also landmass and population reasons. But but they tend to take care of their grandparents uh, and parents, and did not have uh, care facilities. Now it was a different. It's a different culture. But these things. Uh, normally took place there. Whereas in other westernized countries, especially in Europe and in England and in some of those uh, first world countries, um, it was assumed that the, the, the aged uh, parent would, would uh, be placed somewhere. Um, there are times when that is the only route to go, that there's, there's, not, there's not another option um, but, uh, but there is an, uh, a fact of honoring that is critical. And I give you two examples. I have a neighbor who's, whose wife is in a very full dementia. She does not remember who he is. But he goes twice a day uh, to be with her. And it reminded me of, of the college professor, who true story, who became a president of the university. And shortly after he had become the president, his wife also um, uh, had some major difficulty, and then she also had full dementia, and she did not remember who he was. And they said, why would you, he said, I'm, I'm going to resign from my post and care for my wife. And they said, why would you do that? She doesn't remember who you are. And he said, yes, but I remember who she is. Um, children in, 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 in this particular uh, verse, it, it does not describe a particular age. So it's not one of those things, well, you know, I'm 40 years old now. I no longer have to honor my parents. Now, when I, when I get to this, this, this commandment, it, there, it comes with great tension because there have been some very egregious things in the lives of people. And so um, I don't buffet it. I'm not, I'm not watering it down for anyone. 
but I think we do our best to honor our parents. Um, and as the culture has devolved um, into all kinds of, uh, of things that, that are unseemly, uh, there, there are people who are struggling with, with the commandment. But I will just offer this to you. This is between you and God, and you have to honor um, your, your mother and father. And I do honor my father and my mother here tonight. I honor them. They, they, um, they have given um, the three of us kids uh, all that we've ever wanted. Um, and everything that we would ever need, they gave it to us. One of the things that my father gave me was the absence of, of, um, of trouble. Because when we were growing up, uh, we didn't have much. We were, we were poor. But we didn't know we were poor because my dad never said we were poor. <laughs> yeah, It's amazing what we think when we're told. Uh, but when you're not told something, you have a different view. I found out uh, that we were poor. I, it, was, it was a shock to me. What? We don't have any money? <laughs> So, the Old Testament, if there was dishonor, the child would be put to death. Uh, but the New Testament doesn't, uh, wouldn't prescribe that as much. However, in Romans chapter 1, I'll read for you, verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit. Malignant whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Then we land here disobedient to parents without understanding. Uh, this is an interesting thing. If you would dissect all of these various sinful and, and immoral positions, you probably wouldn't, you probably wouldn't put um, the malicious person the haters of God alongside the, this, the disobedient. I think one of the things that's happened is that, that we, we have raised up multiple generations that don't know what honor means or respect. Now, I'm not going to put that on our children. I'm going to put it on us because they've learned from us. I often say, and I'll say it for those of you who've never heard it, don't be embarrassed about what your children do in public for the very things you allow them to do in private. You've trained them to be disrespectful. You've talked bad about people at your kitchen table in your car. You've allowed that kind of conversation going. And when they get a little older and they're able to be disrespectful, they're just emulating what they have been taught. Amen. And... The Bible also says that you should not provoke your children to wrath or to anger. And these things happen and then we wonder why is there such disrespect and dishonor among our children. Our children uh, grow up to be young adults and then middle-aged people with the same deficits they had when they were 10. Because between the ages of 4 and 14 there's a beautiful window and in that window the clay is not yet formed. Now the brain by most scholars and medical, medical researchers say that the brain is not fully formed until the age of 28 years old, give or take. It's, it's a general, general age. But there is the clay. It's a forming of the clay. Very young, very young, where children need to learn respect. Now, if there's no honor and respect or you know you're struggling, you can do it now because you are an adult. And you can start with honor and respect now. You don't say when you're older, well, listen, that's just how I was raised. That is not an excuse. Amen. Well, it's a wonderful Bible study tonight. It, we, it, we almost were convicted, but we're, we're just mostly angry. We need to change. We must change. And we can change by the very actions and words that we use now. And that comes with honor and respect among one another. 
It comes with honor and respect with you and your spouse. If you're married, there should be honor and respect with you and your spouse. And if you can exercise kindness, honor, respect in your home, it will permeate where you are and it will translate into the people that are around you. It's very important that we do that. Now, what we want is we want a society of, of, of young people and young adults that will honor, respect law enforcement and, and ministry and teachers and, and, and authorities of the land. But they haven't heard that at home. And so we want them to use this scripture and we want to press upon the scripture. But before they get there, they've, it's got to start here. It's got to start here. Now, I have the benefit of parents that love the Lord and sacrificed for my life. I have the benefit. But if you don't have the benefit, you don't blame where you came from as an excuse as to where you are. You say, I'm going to change my habit, my life, my thinking, my language, my talk, my walk. You can do that. In fact, if you've been born of the Holy Ghost and you have the Holy Spirit, you have the ability inside of you and you ought to learn... The process of being a new creature. Kindness doesn't cost anything, but sometimes it has to be intentional. If it's not natural, then you you have to work on it. How about this? Smile. I'm going to take a picture of you. Smile right now. Is that your best? Is that all you got? Turn to someone and just smile at them right now. Just smile. Just smile. Just can you smile? Can you? Hey, that's a wonderful thing. You, you, you know what? It's nice to have happy people. If your resting face, I, I don't even know. Someone told me about a resting face a couple years ago. I don't really, I guess it means that you're just not really paying attention to your resting face. Some people have a wonderful resting face. And then there's others. <laughs> Ask someone, what does my resting face look like? <laughs> and if you're, <laughs> well, you don't want to go. But work, work on that. This is a commandment of God. This is not for our negotiation. This is a commandment of the Lord. Here's, here's the next commandment. And it's commandment number six. Thou shalt not kill Leviticus 24, 17. And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. This is, I'll help you with a little bit because there's a bifurcation. And it has to do with, with, with circumstances, intent, and, and situation. In war, people die. There's a difference between, between that and murder. So you have to understand this. Um, and, and, it, and it comes back to position and intent. So, so in the same Old Testament, the Lord also said to King Saul, wipe out the Amalekites, kill all of them, even their cattle and their children. This is a band of guerrilla warfare. They would destroy the horrible things that the Amalekites did to people. And it's un- I won't even say it's unsavory. But the Lord commanded that. So this battle was in the hands of many. But murder is what we're talking about here in the sixth commandment. Murder. Now this is a problem. This is a problem. Because also we've got circumstance. We've got circumstance. Where where some are in battle and war. And others, there's not a war. And it's murder. Now we've redefined it. Especially in the last 40 years, we've redefined it. Because if, if I'm reading the scripture right, and just the medical field now, which is now in declarative form, life begins at conception, not at birth. Human life doesn't even begin when there's an a, a, a attainable heartbeat. It begins at conception. So if that's the case, we have slaughtered over 60 million innocent lives, murdered. Now, there's very few churches that want to stand up and say this. In fact, 
Catholic priests are afraid to even negotiate with this term, even though their hierarchy has been talking about this for a long time. There's a huge shift because for some people, abortion is the sacred cow. It is the anthem. It's the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the golden goose, if, if you will. It, abortion is where money is spent and where all of the, uh, all, all of their efforts, you can't, you can touch anything, but you can't touch abortion. That is in direct violation of the Ten Commandments and the scripture. David said, he knew me in my mother's womb. While I was being formed, he knew me. He saw my parts when I was not yet into this breath. So for me to stand and say that we do not espouse abortion, but we treat it as murder, is hate speech in many parts of the world and is coming to America. Do you realize this? Do you know that as we start to talk about these things, these are the very elements by which the laws of the land will turn and will confront us. How many doctors have we murdered? Unborn. How many scientists? How many cancer research specialists have we aborted? How many musicians? How many songwriters? How many builders, architects? How many inventors? What if one of those of the 60 plus million could have had a remedy for the very things that we're struggling with now? We won't know. The violation of this is atrocious. The sixth commandment has been violated over and over again. And now people are having parties and their abortion parties celebrating the fact that they had an abortion. I want to know where the church go. People vote according to their pocketbook, but they don't vote according to the scripture. If people voted according to the Bible, we would have none of this nonsense in America. But instead we have, we have weak preachers and we have weak people who only care about what they think and they don't care about what God thinks. This is how we treat one another. We're, we, 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 we will decry someone who shoots someone in a mall, but we have nothing to say about the 60 million more babies aborted per year than was ever killed in any war in America. I'm, if I'm passionate about it, it's because this is the scripture. It's because this is the word of God. Now having said all of that, trust me when I tell you, we have, we have dealt with people that have experienced that horrible thing and God has brought them out. And as we move along, we're going to have a lot of folks who walk in and they're going to say, oh, pastor, I did that before I knew God. It happened to me. And I say to them, God can restore you. God can heal you. God can bring you back. Yes. But that does not mean, that does not mean that I should be silent on the matter. If I'm silent on the matter because it's something in your past, then I'm doing a disservice to people who might need to be saved from that. It's a rough, I'm, I'm telling you today, it is, I feel like sometimes I'm walking on eggshells because I don't want to be offensive to anybody. And I know where some of you came from and I know where some people came from and I've heard where people have come from. And one of my pastor friends said he was preaching about prostitution, had no idea that several of the, of the people in his church had come from prostitution, both male and female. And, and they came crying. They were very offended. He said, I had no idea. And he said, what do I do? And I said, well, you keep preaching against it. If they found the Lord, then they're covered with the blood. And the Lord can't see past the blood. And they're going to have to deal with that. But God has saved them. But if you withhold that... It's like the watchman on the wall who's looking out and seeing an appro approaching enemy, but the watchman's afraid that he would offend the people within the city. So he says nothing. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like I'm preaching here a little bit now. I don't know. I'll get back to the book here. This is better. Yes. Thank you, brother. Commandment number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Here's another problem. Here's a big problem. Let, let's describe adultery and fornication for all the people who are not sure. Adultery 
is, happens when you are having a sexual immoral relationship with someone other than your spouse. It means you are married or you're having a, a sexual relationship with someone who is married. That's adultery. Fornication speaks of sexual immorality among the unmarried person. So adultery and fornication. Um, the Bible is pretty emphatic. Now, we've glorified both of these things. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that many, many church-going people, Christians, Pentecostals, um, have been entertained by it. There's a, there's a, a survey that, of how many people in churches today are regular uh, subscribers to soap operas. <laughs> and <laughs> the Gallup poll has this stuff. And I don't know. I, don't, I, I mean, people answer honestly. I think they should be embarrassed, but they answer honestly. And the percentage is pretty high. 40 years of soap operas. 40 years of uh, romance novels. 50 years of romance novels. We'll say, oh, I don't do that. I, that's a sin. But we're entertained by the things. And Hollywood has made it culturally cachet. The media. But if, but if it happened to you, it would devastate you. Now, thou shalt not commit adultery when when uh, when a when adultery takes place in the church, it wrecks the church. It wrecks it. When adultery takes place in the church, no matter what level, it ripples through the whole body. You want to you want to hurt the church? Commit adultery. You want to destroy your family? Have an affair. You want to you want to crush your children and demolish your home? Give in to your sexual desires. It destroys everything. It's a temporary pleasure with a lifetime of pain. Here I am, offending somebody. If you've committed adultery, ask God to forgive you. If you can still remember in your brain, thank God that he covered you with the blood of Jesus. I've seen... I've seen wonderful revivals stop dead in its tracks because of immorality. And immorality can touch every measure of the church. And before you think, well, it won't matter because I'm just a nobody. Yes, it will matter because you are somebody and it wounds the body. As I spoke Sunday night, this is the body. When one is suffering, we all suffer. That's right. Fornication is sexual immorality with unmarried people. Now, that can happen at any age. At any age. It's tough for me to, to, uh, to accommodate the grown men or grown women whose spouse dies and then the next month they're having an affair with someone. And I'm wondering, what, what happened? Are you telling me that you didn't believe in the truth the whole time? Paul said it's better get married than to burn. If, 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 you're, if, if your spouse passed away and you really need to have that affection, there are some websites, I suppose, farmersonly.com. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you ever have that conversation with your spouse? Would you, <laughs> would you, would you marry if I, would you marry again if I died? Said, it's taking me this long to train you and you're only halfway home. <laughs> it's been said that women can live without men. Men can't live without women. I don't know if that's true. I'll let you all give the reply now, fornication is a, is a is a destructive force it's gripping our country 
Because it's commonplace. And of course, why wouldn't it be commonplace? We've, get, we've given prophylactics and condoms to all of our children in all of the grades. This is our public school system. Why, how did it get to that? I'll tell you how. It, because the church got weak. Because we start battling the standards that the church implemented, that the Bible subscribed, and we said, well, that's not necessary, and that's not necessary. And what happened was, the moment we removed the boundary, the wall, and the border, the church lost its standard, and the world went further. Before you argue about what's necessary, just think. You're the only one that's holding up the banner of truth. You are the standard bearer for the whole world. You are the salt and the light. And if the salt loses its savor, there is no remedy for the world. I'm going to get a little preachy here. If the church becomes corrupt, the world has no chance. If the, if the church becomes carnal, I, I'm, I, I don't want to be accusatory. But if you become carnal, the world has no hope. And if you keep saying over and over and over, well, I don't understand why we have to do that. And why, why do we have to go to the church then? And why do we have, after a while, you've diluted all the boundaries. And all of a sudden, you're thinking about yourself. And the world is dying. Oh, man. Amen. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why, God? Because what was meant for procreation and for relationship and for an intimate romantic relationship between two people if that thing gets out of control it will destroy everybody it will destroy homes and children and marriages and and nations and our friend talked about this 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 wonderful fireplace we grew up with a fireplace in our home and man we get the fire and the fireplace the fire everybody would gather around it and we would warm our hands but as if the fire got out of the fireplace the same flame would burn the house down as long as the fire's in the fireplace it's fine but if the fire gets out of the boundaries of the fireplace then the home is destroyed sexual immorality is the drug of america not not, meta, not not cocaine, not marijuana. Sex is the drug. That's right. And so, well, well, why do we have to have those rules for our young people? Because they have hormones. The likes of which you have forgotten. Because we think it's better. Because we're going to be on the safe side. I'll just let you know, someday this is going to be a gymnasium. This is going to be a gymnasium. It's going to be a family life center. It's going to be kickball and basketball and volleyball and dinners and banquets. I just want you to know there's some, there's some standard of dress that will happen in this room. You, whatever you want to do, you know, on your own time, or you can, but... When you come in here, there's a standard of dress. Just because of the gymnasium. <laughs> I just want, I want to forewarn you so you don't get offended and say, well, he's just picking on me. I'm not. This, this, is the, this is still the house of God. And, and you know, we'll, we'll, tempers are going to flare. Someone's going to get into a fight. But they're going to be dressed modest when they fight each other. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> <laughs> they might get a black eye, but I tell you right now, I, you ain't wearing that thing. I'm, I don't care if you bite them; just go ahead and bite them. But poke them in the eye, I won't. But <laughs> how we doing? Are we okay? I feel like I'm pretty, pretty on the subject. I mean, I'm not really in the book necessarily, but I'm, I'm, I'm floating around it. <laughs> Number eight. Commandment 8, thou shalt not steal. This is an interesting thing. It seems rational. But today, we've decided that stealing, all stealing, is not that bad and not punishable. Until it's your stuff. Until it's your stuff. See, what's happening here is, there's a defiance against God. Now, on the, on the surface, we don't see that. We're not talking about that. But the spirit of the age is moving in America. To dismantle and destroy the very things that God has instituted. 
Because you see, when you remove the boundary and there's no penalty and there's no, there, there is no, uh, there's no judgment, then people can take whatever they want to. And that's what's happening. It's happening all around America. All kinds of people. Now, before you gloat and say, well, well we got to do something about those thieves. If you're not returning your tithes and offerings, you're doing the same thing. I always love for people to preach stuff that I excel on. I, rem- I remember the story that, that at, at a minister's meeting, someone got up and said that, that men who golf were, 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 were participating in a worldly sport. And of course, Brother T.F. Tinney was at the microphone, and that's not the man you want to confront. And Brother Tinney said, well, what, what do you think is okay for the men to do? Well, hunting is a good thing. Oh, hunting. Brother Tinney said, well, I don't find golf in the Bible. But Esau, God hated him. He was a great hunter, and so was Nimrod. <laughs> ooh, ooh. It's always wonderful to hear someone preach about stuff that you're really doing well on. When they preach about something or talk about something that kind of gets you, you oh, now we can move on. You know, start messing with your money and people start thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle this. But the Bible declares itself and it's not up for our vote, our validation. And God said, if you don't return your tithes and offerings, you're a thief and a robber. If I said you know, someone has come in and broken into the church office and gotten to, and they, 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 stole, they, stole, a hundred, they stole $100 or $1,000 or took all the offering and ran out, everybody would be all of, oh, who did that? Who did that? A member of the church did that. Oh, well, well we've got to address that. They can't be stealing the church offering. Okay. You got it. Let's move on. It's an uncomfortable commandment. It's a bad commandment. It's, 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 it's rough. This is rough. We shouldn't be doing the commandments. We should be doing the fruit of the Spirit. And right now, a couple of you need the fruit of the Spirit. Forgiveness. Long-suffering. Okay. <laughs> Brother McLeod, you want to finish this up here? Do you want to come up here and finish? You're a, you're a kind soul. Uh, commandment n- number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Hmm. Here's, let's read a couple scriptures. Leviticus nineteen eighteen: thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Let's look at that again. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. So, to bear a false witness, to lie, to bring an accusation. A man, Proverbs 25, 18, that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow. He's a destructive man. Luke 18, 20, thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery. Jesus said, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Jesus is going to reiterate the commandment because the false witness, the lie. Now, now the lie comes in many different forms. The lie is the outright lie. The lie comes in the form of an innuendo. An innuendo. Um, an innuendo is, is uh, uh, tied to a man named Doag, D-O-E-G. So David goes to, with his men, He's very hungry. They have nothing. They have, they're, they're, they're famished. They go to the priest, um, Himelech, and, they, and, and he says, I have nothing here but the showbread. Gives them the showbread. They eat it. He gives them. They have no sword. He said, look, in the back room, I've, I've, got, the, I've got the sword of Goliath. You used it. And, and, but the high priest had no idea what was going on. He didn't know. He did not know, but Doag was there watching it. Doag goes back to King Saul, and he says, uh, you know, 
the priest was helping David. And he forms it in a way that indicts the priest and makes King Saul angry. And at the order of King Saul now, the innuendo, the lie, he orders the priest and all of them to be slaughtered. There are innuendos that are lies. They, they sometimes come in, in questions. And the question is not meant to receive an answer. It's meant to plant a seed. Are you, you know, people treating you okay over there at that church? They, they don't want an answer. They're trying to plant a seed. Does, does, does the pastor have any time for you? Well, I know he's busy. He just don't have time anymore. That's not a question. That's a seed. It's an innuendo. It's a lie. It's in the same little family. It's like an accusation. Here's a false witness, an accusation. An accusation is so terrible, it cannot be proven or disproven. Anyone can accuse anyone of anything. You can accuse them. You don't have to have evidence today to accuse them. That's bearing a false witness. That's why God said of the seven abominations, he hates or has an abomination. It's abomination to God, the accuser of the brethren. And today, through social media and texting, we have made it incredibly convenient for all of us to bear false witness, to have a grudge, to gossip, to talk about people. Someone told me if you talk over an hour, you're going to start talking about someone else. If you're talking to someone else, if you're talking to somebody over an hour, especially on the phone, eventually you'll run out of things to say about yourself. And then you'll lead off with the next statement. Have you heard? <laughs> I feel a, a whispers happening here in the, in the church. Is, is, is this okay? Or should we go back and talk about as the world burns? All my children. We can do that too. Because the false witness is a danger. I'm going to give you the sermon title and I'm, I, I want you to go back and listen to it. When men are not afraid to speak. Go back and listen to when men are not afraid to speak. And that will save us another 15, 20 minutes right now. When men are not afraid to speak. Amen. And I can just tell you right now. If, if, you, if you have something to say about one another, be very careful. Because you may be in the right and they may be in the wrong. But if you're not involved in that, it's going to come back to bite you. Amen. Okay, I, I can't stay on that, but I want to. But I have to move on. And I'm going to get to commandment number 10. And this is a... Now this word... Uh, comes from the Hebrew word chamad. And it, it, it means multiple things. Uh, it, there's multiple definitions of it. But it, it also, within that definition, means to delight in something to be desired or something to be had. Now, we might think of it as to want something that someone has, but it's also something to be desired. So you can covet uh, something as a desire. So if, if you say, Pastor, what would you want me to do? And I would say, I covet your prayers. It means I, I, I desire something um, uh, that's precious. Um, I, 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 I like stuff, but really the great thing is, is uh, I covet your prayers. I covet your prayers. And... Uh, I've told Tammy for a long time, I want a motorcycle. And uh, uh, she, she's never said no. She's never said I couldn't. Uh, she just always said, when, well, go ahead and get one. When you die, another man's going to be raising your kids. Uh, but they're mostly raised now, so, you know, hey. <laughs> I, I don't, I, so, so. I don't, I don't covet the stuff, but I covet your precious. precious. But in this connotation, um, th this is not, uh, he's not talking about 
something that, that's precious or something that we should delight in. This is talking about being jealous of what someone else has or being motivated to get something that someone else has. And I'll repeat the old adage. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. <laughs> I just want you to know, we ain't keeping up with no Joneses. Sister Jones, raise your hand, Sister Jones, in the back. We ain't keeping up with you, Sister Jones. We got any more Joneses in the house? Jones, Jones, calling Jones. We ain't keeping up with anybody. You shouldn't buy something just because someone else has it. Don't get jealous over somebody just because they have it. They might be in debt or maybe they work for it. It doesn't matter. If we're motivated, we should be motivated for the right thing. But to covet in this connotation, here's Proverbs 21, 26. He coveteth greedily all the day long. It's a greed. It's a jealousy. But the righteous giveth and spareth not. So the, the coveteth man, he takes to himself. He hoards it. And he doesn't give it out. It's the difference. First Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of it. I've, I've met people that are rich and they love money. And I've, let, I've, I've met people who are dirt poor and they love money. Because it's not, the, it's not the article that matters. It's the heart. It's the heart that matters. It's the desire and the covet of, of the things. No one has ever won the rat race. It's never been won. You might work all your life to get to a certain point, but then what happens? If you have abandoned all your relationships, you've not given any time to God, so to covet, even, even though it's the last of the ten, it has great worth and value in our lives, especially in a nation that, is, uh, that has opulence. First world nations... They deal with commandment number 10 more than any of them. And we've made it easy for people to covet, to crave, and to feed their cravings. It's called Amazon.com. Man, when Amazon first came out years ago, you get on Amazon, you could get like a power cord. And they didn't ship it correctly. They shipped it in a pretty good box. I got a power cord. Then I got a charger from my phone. And it was a pretty good box. I thought this was awesome. No fees, just the power cord. You didn't have to go to Walmart every day. There was a knock on my door. I got another box. The stack of the box. There's the power cord. Next day, you get the little, you get the little charging head there. And then you get the, you could just order four or five things that came in different boxes. Now it's different. It's a wonderful feeling. You send yourself stuff in the mail through Amazon. You're never without a friend. And this is how we fed the craving. Because we've been told since the, since the early 60s from McDonald's, you deserve a break today. You deserve a happy life. You ought to be happy. You ought to live your best life now. Throw caution to the wind. They said debt is good. You need it. It makes you look better. <laughs> yes. And we, we look and we buy based upon what we see. There's the power of something. And God said, wait a second. Don't covet. Guard your eyes and your spirit. Don't be filled with greed. Now, I'll just present you the other side. There's a group of people who have taken this out of context. They've taken it to an extreme. And what they've taken it as, well, anyone with, with any items must be out of the will of God. That's not true. That's your own pride. I don't need shoes, Pastor, because that's, yeah, you do need shoes. Mm -hmm. Can I just deviate for a moment? I don't mind you shouting, where are your shoes? I know the old song, kick off your shoes, all the stuff. Don't, please don't. 
Unless, unless you're a foot model, I'd rather you leave your shoes on. I don't know. I shouldn't have gone down that road, but it just it struck me. It's Bible study and it's not even the Bible. It, it, the, the other side is so adverse, but that's also filled with pride too. And, and not having the means to do what they want to do in, in, in a very twisted way, they do covet. Because, because coveting is not just attaining, it's the desire to get it. Amen. I've watched, I've watched young men talk about their desire to be a minister. But they don't want to go through the process to minister. They just covet the pulpit. And it's dangerous because they have similitude, but they don't have substance. And I've tried to tell them, you don't want this. You don't want it. Because it comes with heavy burdens and tears and crying before God and ache and pain. And it comes with self-inflicted wounds. <laughs> and the Bible says, be careful because if you're a teacher, you got you to gotta live up to all of your lessons. That's, a, that's rough. Let me tell you, it's rough. It's better not to instruct everybody all the time. Trust me, I know that. Because I have four children and a wife that will remind me what I preached. But dad, didn't you say? And I will say to them, be removed and cast into the sea. (laughs) Thy and thy children. Or something like that. That's right. What are these commandments? There are borders and boundaries around our life. Don't remove the borders and boundaries, but investigate them. And, talk, and these six commandments have to do with all of us and our relationship here. These six commandments help us. God sealed it. When he was done, he sealed it with a thunderous cloud and a, and a mountain that was on fire. And, and we didn't see it. And we didn't, we didn't hear it. And we didn't feel it. And so because it didn't come with the shock and awe, many people walk past the Ten Commandments and say, oh, that's just kind of old-fashioned. These borders and these walls and these boundaries, they were instituted by the Lord for our safekeeping, not to keep us trapped, but to keep us safe. Not to keep us isolated, but to keep us insulated, to help us in our day and in our path and in what we do. Amen. Amen. And if we, if we can abide by what God has said, there is great peace that comes with that. Someone tell me the value of having a clear conscience. Tell me how much of a clear conscience worth that you can lay your head down on a pillow and know, thank God he has saved me. Someone tell me the value of a clean heart and clean hands. Someone tell, how, how valuable is it that you can say, I have an assurance that I am right with God and that I'm pursuing the Lord. Not arrogance, but you know that you are following the plan of God. It's a wonderful thing. If I happen to be going the speed limit home and I pass by a police officer that's parked over there by that college, and I look down and it says 45 miles an hour. I have a peace if I happen to be going 45. And every once in a while, I'll be driving and I'll look up and there he is. Kyle, I know it's you sitting over there with your squad car. Now get home. The kids are ready to come back to church and say, wait, there's a police officer. You better go the speed limit. I tried to tell my boys because I found out early on, 
It's like taking your $100 bill and just opening up the window and just letting it go. See ya. I got nothing for it. I will tell you if, you, if if you bought a little piece of concrete, I own a lot of this highway in between me and, and Edgewood Grove especially. I own a lot of patches of this road. I bought them through the years. Now, boundaries. The problem with violating these boundaries are it costs you a lot more than you understand and you can pay for You don't want to violate these. The lie will destroy you. The lie will suffocate you. And when you start lying, you'll lie about everything. You'll lie about things that don't matter. They're insignificant. And then all of a sudden, you become habitual in that. That you can't tell the truth. And the enemy comes in and sweeps over you. And so finally, you cannot be believed. You don't even believe yourself. You covet things and all of a sudden your heart is, I want that. I need that. Not, not a precious thing. Something that you want that you think is going to glorify yourself. If you get lost in sexual sins, it won't be because one day you got them and said, I think I'm going to go commit adultery. It's because you, you went through a road, you went through a stop sign and you went through a yield sign and you subjected yourself over and over. Lot did not live in Sodom and Gomorrah the day he separated from Abraham. No, he looked at a plush valley and he set up his house and he opened up the door and the Bible says he pitched his his tent, that when he got out of the door, he was looking at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He built his home so that his front door faced a wicked city. He might have said, I'll never live there, but whatever you're facing, that's where you're going to go. And in time, he ended up in a wicked city, and Peter came along and said he was a righteous man, but he was vexed. When push came to shove, it overwhelmed him, and I, I can't imagine he ever thought that he would do this. But the Bible says Lot lingered. When the angel was trying to get him out, Lot was hesitant. And Lot's willingness to move there corrupted his two daughters and his wife. Because you think you can handle it, but you cannot handle it. And whatever you're looking at is going to destroy you. And you'll say, well, I'll never do that. I'll never go there. Yes, but you're looking at it. And you'll live where you're facing. Amen. I, I just want you to know, when people come to me and they've not lived the right life, but they, they've repented their sins, I, I tell them, I want to marry you, but you've got, to, you've got to be pure between now and the time you get married. And some people reject it and they say, I don't want to. I'm not, I can't, we can't do this. I, We'll find someone else. And I'll say fine. Because when I marry you, I've got to marry you in the sanctity of holiness. I'm not a hireling. Uh, you, you, can't pay, you, can't, you can't buy me enough to bypass the law of the Lord. You can't live in fornication and then have me come in and pronounce this wonderful marriage in the sight of God. If I'm going to do that, the first thing I'm going to do in that marriage is say, repent right now for the wickedness that you have been engaging in before I marry you. But nobody wants that prayer. So let's do that in my office. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Well, well, Pastor, what what if they already have children? That's fine. My father taught me this. When the couple came, my brother won them to the Lord. My brother knocked on the door. He, He baptized this whole family. They weren't married. They had a bunch of kids. Dad said, well, we gotta, you got to get married. They said, we want to get married. Dad said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You, you sleep on the couch, you sleep in the bedroom until I'm ready to marry you. Because they had no money. They had kids already. That's how we do it. You repent, and you go in that room, and you go in this room. <laughs> All right. And now I'm going to be pressed. Don't press me to marry your family members that are immoral. I don't have the authority to do it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Amen. And I thank you for not doing that. But just know that if they do mess up and, they, and, 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 and they're a wreck and they get married, we're going to bring them in and we're going to restore them and we're going to put it on the blood. We're going to move on. And we've already done that numbers of times and it's going to happen again and again and again and again. Amen. But for all those young people who have not gone down that road, we're going to talk about the law of God and the commandments of the Lord. Amen. Praise God.
That's the Ten Commandments. Jeff Harple's version. That's my take. Praise God. You know, Sister Shock wrote this, and it was so much better than what I said. But if you'll read the book, it's nice. It's pleasant. It's not, it's not even the least bit offensive. But I didn't read the book, so I did. I read the book. It's, be- it's a beautiful, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. Please stand with me now. Sunday's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. I'm going to preach Sunday morning. Brother McLeod's going to preach Sunday night. We're going to have a great time with the Holy Ghost. And I want you to bring all your friends and your family and everybody on Sunday morning. And then I want you to come on Sunday night, if you can. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We love your word. We embrace it. And we love your law. And we ask you, Lord, help us to keep our borders and our boundaries. Help us to obey what you have given. The commandments, Lord, that you gave in the Old Testament, they are for us right now today. We are your people. And we want to be the sheep of your pastor, following your word. I thank you for it. We give you great praise, honor, glory, majesty, power. We exalt you and extol you, Lord. You are a wonderful king, a mighty savior. You're a mighty savior. And your name is a high tower. And the righteous run into it and are safe. And so we exalt you tonight. And we lift you high. Because you're a righteous God and a holy God. And we want to be a holy people separated for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let this house be a lighthouse. Let it not just be a church on a corner, Lord. But let it be a refuge for the lost. They've never heard truth, Lord. But turn their hearts and minds to the truth. I pray it in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And all the people said amen.